0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm so excited for Next Gen Sunday. I've been involved in student ministry for 12 years now. And I was doing a little research last week on revivals and there seems to be a common theme and that's every significant move of God started with a group of passionate young people. And I believe this next one will be no different. Uh, I'm going to plug this a little bit on the front end. High school camp is this summer. Pastor Obed Martinez is preaching at our camp. He's my favorite. So please, please, please do not miss the opportunity to get your people signed up at the Next Steps area in Back. Well, this morning I believe that God has a word for you. Uh, We're going to be reading out of Acts 16 16. Let me get some context to what we're reading. The Apostle Paul has a vision from God, and in the vision, God tells him, I want you to come to Macedonia. Paul listens quickly and he heads to Macedonia, and this is where we pick up in the story today. It reads like this It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This next part's very interesting to me. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Isn't it interesting that when she was in bondage, when she was broken, when she was demon-possessed, her owners had no problem with her. But the moment she experienced freedom, all of a sudden they wanted nothing to do with her. There are people in your life that like you better when you're broken. Yeah, one of the first things that should change is who you attract. Because you don't attract what you want, you attract who you are. So if you're broken, what do you attract? Brokenness. But you can't have the hope of the world inside of you be free and attract brokenness. Let's continue reading. Verse 23. They threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, don't you love that? Every time God does something, it's sudden. It's immediate. When we operate on our own strength, we operate on our timeline. When we operate on his, it's on his. It's always sudden. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought they had escaped but paul cried with a loud voice don't harm yourself we're all here and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before paul and silas then he brought them out and said sir what must i do to be saved then he said believe in the lord jesus You will be saved. I love, 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 love this last part. You and your household. The promises of God are never just for you. They're always for you and your children, you and your grandchildren. It's you and your household. This morning, I want to talk to you from this topic. They need you. Uh, My wife and I have been married for five years. Uh, I actually managed to find a Hispanic wife. I'm Hispanic. My wife's Hispanic. My dad's very happy. And we somehow have managed to produce the whitest looking child in all of South Louisiana. This boy looks like Casper the ghost. Um, I frequently have to explain that I don't know why he looks the way he looks. I don't know say. But I've noticed something, right? I'm a young parent. My son is like one and a half years old. And so I know we got some seasoned parents in the house. If you just go back with me when you were a early parent, I'm starting to notice that Everything that I do, he does. I like to fish. I'm not like a master fisherman. I just like to bass fish. And last week I was fishing, and he went and grabbed a fishing pole and started fishing. It's crazy. Uh, I I like to play a little basketball, too. You know, I play basketball here and there. And I noticed that he now wants to play basketball. It's like everything that I do, he does does but church family, I need you to really pray with me because we got a call from John Wesley's teacher a couple weeks ago. He said, Pastor Joseph, we need to talk. I said, what do we need to talk about? He said, Pastor Joseph, John Wesley is kissing all of the girls in his class. Do we have a picture of this? He's in aranza. I don't know what to say. You reap what you sow, man. You really do. It's hilarious. I actually have another picture that I, I didn't put up because I didn't know the parents of the child well enough. But he was grabbing the girl and like forcefully. <laughs> he's, he's crazy. But I'm learning something in parenthood, and it's that John Wesley is never just watching me. John Wesley's learning from me. And this morning, I feel a burden to tell you that the next generation is watching the now generation. And it is our job to set the example for what it looks like to live a faith-filled life. And this morning, I believe there are three principles in the story that we read that show us the importance of not just living for the now, but in living for the next. The first thing that we see is that you have the sound. Now, I need you to talk back to me this morning. So can you say, I have the sound? I have the sound. In the story are reading, Paul gets a vision from God to go to Macedonia. And Paul is obedient to God's voice. Right away, he heads to Macedonia. And it's actually kind of funny because if you read the story, because he's obedient to God's voice, he gets arrested, he gets beaten, and he gets thrown into prison. Which, this feels like an appropriate moment to remind you that sometimes on this journey of being a Jesus follower, better Will feel backwards. There'll be moments in your relationship with God where you'll be obedient to God's voice and it doesn't get easier, it actually gets harder. And I want to remind you of something that we say oftentimes to our students: that the promise that we have as believers is not that we don't experience persecution. The promise that we have is not that we don't go through storms. The promise that we have is that we never have to go through the storm alone. That's why one of my favorite scriptures is when the psalmist David says, the Lord is my shepherd. David was saying, Jesus is much more than just someone who saved my life. He actually leads my life. He's the good shepherd. That means he's with me on the mountaintop when everything's going great, and he's with me in the valleys. Let me remind you, the same God that is with you when everything is going great is the same God that is with you when you feel like everything is falling apart. So Paul and Silas are sitting in a prison cell for being obedient to what God asked them to do. And do you know what the very first thing they begin to do is? Their response to persecution? They don't get cynical. They don't get critical. They don't turn their back on God. They don't give in to circumstantial Christianity where I'll praise you when I feel like I'm doing well, but when everything's falling apart, I'm gonna say, where are you? No, 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 no. The very first thing that Paul and Silas begin to do is they begin to worship. Look here, Verse 24. It says, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? What were they doing? Praying and singing singing hymns to God. You see, Paul and Silas knew something that we need to be reminded of this morning. Paul and Silas knew that worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. You see, there's something significant about a sound. There's something significant about worship. In fact, the first thing God gave the early church was A sound. Look here in Acts 2, some context very quickly. Uh, The beginning of Acts, you see Jesus reappears. He's with the disciples and he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, Hey, I'm, I'm sending a helper. He ascends. Jesus ascends. The disciples go to the upper room. And as they're together, Acts 2 happens. It says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place side note doesn't really have a lot to do with my message uh how many of you have heard that thing where the spirit of the lord is there's freedom have you ever heard that with spirit of the Lord? yeah well in this you also see that the spirit of the lord is attracted to unity so where there's no unity there's no spirit where there's no spirit there's no freedom so if you're not experienced the freedom of god maybe it's because you're not not maybe it's because you're divided maybe it's because you're not united where the day of pentecost arrived they were all together in one place united and suddenly there came from heaven a what Suddenly there came heaven a sound. You see, when you were a born-again, blood-washed, spirit-filled child of God, there was a chain-breaking sound on the inside of you. There's a chain-breaking sign on the inside of you. Look at this. We see this with Paul and Silas. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying and singing hymns to God. I need you. About midnight, Paul and Silas were what? praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So first part, praying and singing hymns to God. Second part, everyone's bonds were unfastened. So my worship doesn't just free me. My worship frees everyone around me. Okay, I want to show you this. Can I get my helpers up here? Okay, I want to I want you to see this. Uh, This is Amanda Hux. Amanda is the president of Lafayette High. She's a senior. She just got a full scholarship to go to Arkansas. And this is my younger little brother, Haddon. I'm the shortest one in my family. I don't know what to say. But in that prison, in those days, your feet would have been chained to a wall, but your arms are chained together. So, Paul is sitting here trapped in between a murderer and a thief. So, Paul is sitting here attached to someone who does not know Jesus and someone who is hopeless. Someone who does not have a relationship with God and someone who has no purpose in life. Now, here's the problem the problem is she can't free herself. You know why? Because she doesn't have the sound. He can't free himself. You know why? He doesn't have the sound. You know who has the sound? I do. And when I begin to release my sound, it doesn't just free me, it frees everyone around me. Parents, you have the God-given sound for your household. That's why worship is important. That's why praise is important. Thank you. You can be seated. That's why when you wake up, worship has to be what you set the environment of your home with, because it's not just you you're setting free. It's everyone in your household. The promise of God is not just for you. It's you and your house. That's why every morning praise must be the foundation of your home, because you have the sound. Say, I have the sound. The second thing I want you to know is they are listening. They're listening. Uh, Being in student ministry, a lot of my phone calls with parents... Kinda sound like this, you know, my teenagers are going crazy, I want to kill them, and they are not listening. I think they're listening more than we know. Verse 25, it says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and what does it say? They were listening. Now, many of you know my family's story. I am one of five boys, and we have a sister, Amberly, she's the youngest, she's amazing. And in 2015, our family really suffered a tragedy. I lost my younger brother, Wesley, to a motorcycle accident. And it really sent a, man, hurricane through our whole family. Youngest to oldest. If you've been through that kind of tragedy, you can relate. And in 2016, my wife and I moved to Southern California. And we moved there with a guy named Pastor Obed Martinez. And every year he took me to this conference called ARC Conference. And what ARC Conference is, is it is a conference where thousands of pastors come together and get refreshed and encouraged and poured into. It's amazing. Well, 2017, uh, I was actually unable to go to conference and Pastor Obed sent me the link and he said, hey, this is a two-day deal. I really want you to watch every session. So it was about halfway through day two and I'm sitting there watching on my computer and after worship, a pastor came up on the stage and he said, I just feel this in my spirit. I feel like there's pastors here whose families are like really suffering. I mean, families have really been hit by tragedy and really have been able to recover. I mean, some real, real, real deep hurt. If that's you, I want you to stand. And in a room of probably 2,500, 3,000 pastors, there was only six that stood. And as I'm sitting there watching, I see someone very familiar stand up in the middle and just throw their hands in the air. I'm, I paused the video and and I zoomed in and I realized it was my dad. I didn't even realize it at the conference. And I saw this picture. And this picture, for the last six years, I took a screenshot of it and I've printed it out and I put it next to my computer. And for the last six years, this picture has been a tangible reminder of what it looks like to stand firm in the middle of a storm. This has been a picture that's held me in some of the darkest moments of my life. This has been a tangible reminder of what it looks like to never stop praying on what it looks like to be a man of God, of what it looks like, Exodus 14, 14, when it says the Lord will fight for you, all you have to do is trust him. This is what this picture has been for me. I wanna ask you a question. Do you think he knew that when he stood at 5,000 miles away, I was watching, course not he had no clue that when he stood it gave me strength to stand That's good. That's good. let me tell you something you never know when your kids are watching you never know when your kids are listening don't ever buy into the lie that they're not listening they're always listening and you know when they really listen when a storm comes you know when they really want to watch when it gets hard to stand firm the Bible has scripture after scripture after scripture that communicates the importance of setting the example scriptures like Titus 2:6 that says similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set them an example. John 13, 15, I've set you an example. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We must set an example. Man, let me tell you something. We live in a dark, Broken, perverted world. There are companies that are spending billions of dollars to get into the hearts of your young people. And if you don't set the example on what it looks like to be a man and woman of faith, how in the world will your children know what it looks like? How will they know? We have to set the example. Um, Every morning, my wife and I have a routine with our son, John Wesley. Yeah, I wake up early and I get the coffee going and I start praying and John Wesley comes out and I pray with him, and my wife gets up a little later and she puts on something called Listener Kids Worship, and every morning I hear something like this: I am a C, I am a C H, I am a C H R A S T I N, and I have C H R A S T in my H E A R T and I will L I V E E T E R N A L Y I am a C. I am a C H. I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-A-N and I have H E A R T, and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-Y Okay, every morning I hear this. I could wake up and recite this thing to you. Every morning. And you know, the Holy Spirit really convicted me because two weeks ago I was praying and I'm like having this like deep moment with God and then I hear this thing, I am a C. And I'm like, shut it off. I'm not doing it this morning. I can't do it this morning, okay? I'm like, I'm trying to prepare for a message that and the Holy Spirit really convicted me because it's like, you know, does John Wesley doctrinally understand the message of what it means to be a Christian at one and a half? No. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. <laughs> this is actually hilarious. Two weeks ago, uh, you know, he has listener kid's worship and I walk out of the bathroom and he has his hands lifted like, let's look at the TV. And I'm like, he gets it. And then like three d- days ago, Rochelle sent me a video of him watching Nickelodeon and he's like This. <laughs> And I'm like, this is not good, (laughs) this is not good. But what are we doing every morning? We're sowing seeds of faith into the next generation and there's this very biblical principle called the principle of sowing and reaping. And if you don't sow seeds of faith, you will never get a harvest of faith. And if you don't sow seeds of what it looks like, your children will never be able to replicate it. We, as the now generation, have to sow seeds of faith for the next generation. It's our turn. First thing is, you have the sound. The second thing is, they are listening. Lastly, is it matters. Say that with me, say it matters. It matters. Now, I'm about to see how many of us are you know, like each other because when I read this story, the first time I read it, uh, I see Paul who was obedient to the voice of God, Paul who did everything God asked him to do and in the process got beat, got persecuted, landed himself in prison. And while he's in prison, instead of getting negative, instead of getting cynical and critical, he begins to worship. And while he is worshiping, doing the right thing, doing the Christian thing, doing what you're supposed to do, an earthquake comes, your chains fell off and the door burst wide open, I'm gone. Like, I'm, I'm gone, that's just, just me, I don't know, it's like I'm not a murderer and a thief, I'm not supposed to be here. That's not even a second thought, like God, this has to be you, right? Like, I'm not supposed to be here, I prayed, you showed up, freedom, this is the whole 360 Christian experience. But when you read the story, that's not what Paul does. Look at the story. The Bible says that they don't leave. The Bible says they stay inside the cell. And when the prison guard wakes up, he draws his sword to kill himself, thinking that they had escaped. Read this, verse 28. But look at what Paul said. Paul cries out with a loud voice. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And the Bible says that trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? This guard is so taken back. I want you to see this picture. That in one moment, he goes from taking his own life to giving it away. Paul understood something so profound. That open door was not for his freedom, It was for the guards. Paul understood something so profound, man, that just because there's a door open in front of me doesn't mean that God has opened that door for me. And a lot of the pain that I've experienced in my life was because there was an open door, and just because it was open, I assumed it was God. And I walked through something, not that was bad, but it wasn't God. Only to have to painfully return a year and a half later and realize, Maybe I really should have prayed about this thing. You know what I've realized? A byproduct of being a born again, blood washed, spirit filled child of God is the favor of God on your life. People are attracted to it. You got something different. Something's different on your life. I don't know what it is, but, but you're different. You know what that means? Open doors will never be a problem. Then you go to another level, which is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is the ability to discern between a good thing and a God thing. That's spiritual maturity. That's good, but it's not God. Yeah, that's good, but it's not God. Uh, I have this conversation frequently with young people, with students, uh, because you know when you're working with students and you're working with young people, everyone has found their forever person at 14. So I'm the bad guy that always has to sit here and really act like this is the one. You know, like, wow, this is amazing. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) And, you know, I have this, this is the conversation I have a lot. This is, parents, you can use this. Is this good or is this God? I use this as, I use this all the time. And it's like, for them, they're pretty and they go to church. Like, it's God. And it's like, no, let's go to the next level. They're beautiful and they love Jesus. That means like, they're just in the race. That's like, they got legs and a pulse, Okay, like that's just elementary. Now what? Like, like do they actually make you better? Or, or like, what's their purpose? What's their goals? What's their drive? And as I was preparing this message, thinking about a good door and a God door, I couldn't help but think, and I'm trying to be so careful in how I say this, of the brokenness we deal with in students is a result of a parent not walking through an evil thing that they knew was gonna harm their children, was walking through something good, but just because it was good didn't mean it was God. And the person that really got hit by it wasn't them, it was their family. And when you start living for the next generation, the doors that you do and do not walk through, you realize they don't just affect you. They affect your kids as well. Um, How many of you are grateful for the actual grace of God, like genuinely like God's mercies are new every morning, the grace of God if you are here and you've been divorced, this is not fear, guilt and shame, don't take the bait of the enemy, okay, God's mercies genuinely are new, I genuinely believe your tomorrow's better than your yesterday but I want to take a moment and pause because I just feel in my spirit that there are people here that have an open door in front of you maybe it's an open door to walk Maybe it's an open door to do something. The doors you walk through create a ripple effect that become a tidal wave for your children. And we are on the front line of working with young people and the brokenness in them was usually a result of the selfishness of a parent. It's never just affecting you. It's never just affecting you. As we close, uh, I was with a young student a couple weeks ago, came from a broken home, dad walked out. So as a pastor, I have the genuine privilege of kind of being a father figure for a bunch of young guys whose dads have unfortunately abandoned the God-given role of being a father. And I was having a conversation with them, and oh, And there's just like this anger. Like, he's just an angry kid. Just so angry. And I know the source of the anger, but, you know, a pastor, you kind of got to be a surgeon. You kind of got to pain... Yeah, shoot him some pain medicine. and would be very sensitive. And we eventually got to the root. And he just started bawling his eyes out. And he asked me this question. Am I not good enough for my father? And it wrecked me because... Oftentimes, people's lens that they see God through is the lens that they see their, heavy, their earthly father through. That's that's why, you know, people have a big problem with Christianity and God because we live in an orphan generation. Are you kidding me? We live in such an, it's a odd thing now to find a couple who's been married for 20 plus years. It's like something's wrong with you. We live in an incredibly orphaned generation. So what do you think the lens of God is? It's, it's I have to, work really hard for him to love me. It's, I'll never be good enough for him. It's an orphan lens. And this morning, as a father, I believe we have an opportunity to reclaim what it means to be parents, to reclaim What it means to set the example for the next generation, to reclaim what it means to leave a legacy of faith, to reclaim the new normal, to reclaim what it actually looks like to sow seeds of faith into the next generation. Because listen to me if we do not, then who will? If we don't, then who will do it? I want to give you something very practical. Some next steps. I wanna give you two things that you can do when you leave here that will make an immediate impact on the next generation. The first one is you can send. If you're here and you have a child that is elementary, junior high, or high school, we have an opportunity this summer to go to camp. Now, this isn't just like summer camp to go to summer camp. Outside of the faith of my mom and dad, the greatest thing that's attributed to my spiritual growth of me standing on this platform has been summer camps. It was at summer camp that I really first heard the voice of God. It was at summer camp that I realized God's hand was on my life. It was at summer camp where I genuinely had come to Jesus moments that still carry me today at 30. If you have a young person, as soon as service is over, you can go to the next steps area in the back and sign them up. Second person here, maybe you can't sin, but you can sow. Uh, There was, that's actually really cool. I told them at the nine o'clock service, there was a student that came at the 8 a.m., and I remember last year, they couldn't afford to go. And someone scholarship them. They came to camp, got radically saved. They brought their mom the next Sunday, she got saved. She brought her husband, who had not been to church in 30 years, and they got saved and at 8 a.m. They're all together. Yeah, I love them. Whenever you sow seeds that are eternal, God always honors that. The greatest investment you can ever make is eternal investments. I want to close with this statement. Children sometimes fail to listen to their parents, but they rarely fail to imitate them. If we don't set the example, who will? With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Joseph, I hear you talking a lot about Jesus. I hear you talking a lot about God, but if I could be honest, I don't have a relationship with him. Uh, I've, I've been religious, but... This isn't really like my thing. I want to tell you that a personal relationship with Jesus will be the greatest decision you will ever make. The greatest decision you will ever make. It's someone that is madly in love with you. It's someone who has sacrificed everything for you. He has chosen you before you have ever even gotten a chance to choose him. And this morning, you have an opportunity to choose him. Make no mistake, this changes everything. This is not behavior modification. This is radical life transformation. So on the count of three, I wanna give you the opportunity to make the greatest decision you will ever make, to have a relationship with Jesus. One, this moment's just for you. Two, he's been waiting on you. Three, if that's you all across this place, raise your hands. I I see you, 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 I see you. See so your hands lifted all over. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask one more time. If you didn't raise your hand the first time when you're saying, Pastor, my heart's about to beat out of my chest. Please, can I raise my hand? If that's you, raise your hand right now. If you didn't raise it the first time, I see you. I see you in the back. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Church family, can we pray together with them? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from heaven to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is not my home. Amen.